Welcome to the FFGF Podcast. We are located in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and our mission is for you to know God and make Him known. We pray this message blesses you today. If you'd like more information about our ministry or how you can partner with us, please go to fredfulgospel.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I have a message this morning. It's called, It Must Go. Could you repeat that after me this morning? It must go. All right. I want to just invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts as we jump into his word today. Holy Spirit, God, we know only you can change a life. And so we invite you right now by the power of your Holy Spirit to come. Touch us today. And I pray that each one within the sounding of my voice and and me myself, we would leave differently this morning as we go from this building, God, because we've heard and taken in your word. So Lord, we just open our hearts right now to receive what you want to say to us. God, I thank you that your word never returns void, but it always goes out and does what it set out to do, uh, which is change us. So God, we just invite you to come and change us today. But God, I pray that we would not only be hearers of the word, but we would leave as doers. We would, we would do what you've asked us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it must go. I just want to remind you of the fight today for you. You're living in a battle. I know you probably know this. That's my OCD kicking in. I know you know this, but you're living in a battle. And it's not just a physical one. Hopefully it's not a physical one at all, but, but maybe you're not just fighting against your kids and, and, and fighting for position at work, and, 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 but you're in a spiritual battle. And the fight over your life is for your worship. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't get what that means today. Well, it means this. The fight over your life is for what you put your worth in. You know, the root of worship, we we have lots of words in church that we throw around intercession and and justification and propitiation and worship. The the word worship, really when you break it down, the the root word of worship is worth. What do I deem worthy to give my time? my energy, my resources, my life? What do I deem worthy to invest myself in? And the fight over your life is this. Will I worship God with not just my words, not just with my hands on Sunday, but with my life on a moment-to-moment basis? Or will I worship other things? In the Bible, they are called idols. I hope none of you today have any idols set up in your house. If, if you do, I can come over, I have a baseball bat, and we can fix that. But, uh, but, but you probably don't have any, maybe, idols set up in your home. But I just want to say to you today that, that worshiping idols isn't just about a, a physical thing, it's about our hearts. What do I worship above God? What do I deem more valuable, more important, more fulfilling, more pleasurable than my relationship and the affirmation and the love and purpose that I get from my God. What is it? What is it to you? What is it to me? Perhaps it's different for all of us today. But I just want to read with you some stories today, actually one story, but a few verses about, about how some things in our lives, if we're to worship God, some things have to go. Could you just say with me one more time? Just say it, it must go. It must go. And I'm going to ask you to say it a few times throughout the, throughout the day, but, but uh, it's got to go. Uh, I just want to read this little 
fun, fun story to you that, that I found that I'm going to make a point from. There's a special place in the cells of your body where oxygen is supposed to sit. It's, a, it's like a little slot that, chemically speaking, is shaped just perfectly to hold an atom of oxygen. The problem is that this other particle called carbon monoxide is shaped almost identically to oxygen so that it also fits perfectly in that slot where the oxygen is supposed to go. <clears throat> when it starts to go there in mass quantities, your body begins to not breathe, but suffocate. However, you don't realize that this is happening. You think that you're fine. After all, you're still breathing. Your lungs are still expanding and contracting. You feel air coming in and going out. Your body is going through all the motions it should be going through. All systems are normal, right? Wrong. You're being asphyxiated. You're suffocating even though you don't know it. I think the example of carbon monoxide and oxygen is, is, is a close one to sometimes the deception of sin. That it promises purpose. It promises relief from maybe even the pain you're going through, from the urges, from the struggle, from the temptation, from, from, from the things that, maybe, there, there's things in your life that promise satisfaction. That job, that relationship. I know I shouldn't, I know, I know I'm not married at her and, and I know we're at work, but, but she, she's, she, I feel close to her, right? I, I, I know I shouldn't be drinking this much right now. I know I'm just, it's just a crutch for me, but, 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 but it, just, it just feels right. I, I, I know it's not right, but it's just replacing where your worship goes. I just want to say to you today, sin is the carbon monoxide to your soul. Sin will slowly but surely suffocate you, sometimes without you even realize what's happening. Why? Because the same desire is in effect life, peace, purpose, wholeness. But the thing is, sin is a counterfeit for what God has created to satisfy you. That's himself. That's just him, a relationship with him. But sin counterfeits itself and says, I'll be there for you. I'll take you where you want to go. This will bring you to a place of purpose, satisfaction, wholeness, fullness, and unbrokenness. But really, we find down that path that we find maybe many steps down, we realize that the bargain isn't what we thought it was. And we realize that we've been lied to, that we've been taken down a path that we didn't want to go and never thought we'd be on. And all of a sudden, we realize, I'm broken. I feel like my purpose is gone. I feel like maybe my relationship with God that I once had, maybe it's weak. I don't feel his presence anymore. I can't talk to him. I feel shame. I don't, I don't have a desire to spend time in God's word. And I just want to bring a word to you today. And this isn't a legalistic word. You know, this is a relationship word today. Um, because some things in our lives, if we're going to live a life where we are not suffocated by sin, we have to remove some things. Would you say with me today, it must go, it must go. I wanna read you this verse in Galatians chapter five, verse 17. It says this, the sinful nature wants to do evil. I have bad news for you today. The cards are stacked against you in the natural because you're a sinner and you were born that way. 
I'm a sinner and I was born that way. Nobody had to talk, teach me. I was around some kids this week. I won't tell you who they are because they're amazing kids. But, but you don't have to teach us. I put us in there because I'm still young. You don't have to teach us how to want our own way, how to say that's mine. It comes very naturally. Selfishness comes very easily. Self-centeredness is the natural default to your soul. And so it says the sinful nature wants to do what's evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And you know, if you have some desires in your life today that are ungodly, you can just pray the prayer, God, fill me more with your spirit. I want your desires. I pray that every day. God, give me your thoughts, your words, and your desires. Live out your life within me. Because I realize that my own desires, my own ways, they're evil apart from God. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. I want to read to you a story in 2 Chronicles today. A little bit about the choice that we have on a daily basis. I talked about this word idols. What is an idol? It is anything that I put in front of God. It's anything that I worship, that I bow to, that I look to for satisfaction, purpose, wholeness, apart from God. Now, I just want to say to you today, God is all about you being blessed. Let me just remind you that this isn't a message of you have to give up everything good and God wants to make you miserable and you have to fast 50 days a year. I don't know what he wants you to do, but, but God has good things for you. So God, God wants to bless you. He wants you to be, have a purpose, have wholeness, be financially blessed, have relationships. He's a good God. But there's some things that, that have to go. And so 2 Chronicles 34, we find Israel in uh, this place where they are constantly up and down in their relationship with following God. And I want to tell you why. I'm just going to break the news to you. And I'm going to read you some, story, some, some stories in a minute. They have these things, which we're going to get to in, in a second, called high places, groves, and, and, and carved images. And they have these idols that they go to to worship. And it says that when they do, God has to lift his favor because God can't coexist with sin. That's, that's against who his character is. And so he has to remove his favor from Israel. And when he does, they see the disastrous effects of it and they begin to feel bad about it. And they say, we're sorry, we repent. And they come back and they return to the Lord. But the problem is a lot of the kings, they never actually got rid of the idols. They never actually physically removed what was causing them to stumble, to be distracted, to be tempted, to be led astray. They never took it and said, this has to go. This cannot coexist with my relationship with God anymore. This has to be removed. It, it was something that often the kings of Israel, they turned back to God because they were sorry, but how often we repent when we face the consequences, but really we're not really sorry enough to remove the problem. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, I want to read a story with you today. And Josiah was eight years old when he became, became king. Ooh, that's a bad idea. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, he had some help, right? But he was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Look at this, verse two. I love this. And he did what was right, in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to his right hand or to his left. 
I want you to show, I want to just point out something to you about the life of Josiah. He starts his kingship at eight years old and reigns for 31 years. And it says he never turned to the left or to the right. Another word we throw around in church is to be holy, holiness. You know, all the word holiness means is to be consistent, to be like God consistently. It says that he never turned. He never left. Oh, wouldn't we love to live a life? Aren't you, don't you love when you look at lives and, and, and there's nothing wrong if you've had some time away from the Lord and, and, and the Lord's called you back and he's working in your life, but, but isn't it cool to see somebody who, man, they just never, I think of Billy Graham today. You think of Billy Graham, he never, he never turned. He, he never saw in his life any compromise. We're all sinners, but but what a life, right? Josiah reigned 31 years, and it says he never turned to the left or the right. He always had a faithful heart towards God. I think God has shared with me just a little insight as to why. And I want to encourage you today in that. So in the eighth year of his reign, when he was still young, he was 16 years old. Anybody 16 in the room today? We've got a few 16-year-olds somewhere, I think. I don't know. 17. He began to seek God, the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year, when he was 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of Baal in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down, and the wooden images and the carved images and the mold images he broke into pieces. And he made dust of them, this is intense, and he scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Okay, <laughs> he, he, he gets serious. He's had enough. Has anybody ever come to a place in their life with a relationship with God where you feel like it's up and something brings me down? Or I'm up and I get tempted and, and, I, and I gossiped again, right? I talked about that, or I looked at that again, or, or, I, or I did that again. You're up, you're down. Up, you're down. You're discouraged. It brings shame, brings pain, brings frustration. God, I want to do what's right. I just, I'm weak. I want to live strong. I can't. I want to try better. It's not enough. I want to just encourage you today that freedom from sin is a heart issue. But there's some practical steps to cleansing your heart from things in your life that need to go. And it looks a little bit like this. I know this is a strong word this morning, and maybe this isn't for everybody here. Maybe you've gotten all the idols out of your life, but I, I know uh, at some point you're going to have an idol peek back up, and you're going to have to make it go. I think that us as Christians, instead of living in the cycle of, I've asked for forgiveness and there's grace, but I leave what's in my life that's drawing me from God there. Could we be people who take following God so seriously that we actually take steps to remove what's stealing my soul, what's taking my purpose, what's taking my life? Maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a friendship today. Maybe when you get around this one person, you just can't help it, but you, you say things you shouldn't say. 
Your language changes. You start to gossip. You start to, you start to talk about other people that you shouldn't be talking that way and you feel bad about it, but you, you just do it when you're around that person. I just want to challenge you today. Do it in a loving way, but maybe you need to take some steps from relationships like that. Take some steps away for a time and say, you know what? That's got to go for my life. I can't function like that anymore. That's making me into a different person. Maybe there's some places that you go where there's just some people who carry something or, or, or talk a certain way that tempts you. And you just have to say once and for all, I gotta, I, it's gotta go. Maybe there's, some pl- maybe there's some places at home when you're alone. Maybe, 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 maybe it's your phone today. Maybe it's social media addiction. Maybe, maybe you're being tempted on, on your phone. Hey, take that thing, smash it, burn it, strew the ashes like Josiah did at Best Buy. I don't, I don't know what you have to do, but, but, <laughs> but sometimes some of these things have to go. It's gotta be removed. It's not good enough for me anymore just to say, God, I'm sorry and feel bad about it, but to never fix the root of the problem. It's got to go. And so there are all things in our life today that maybe we can identify and say, you know what? In order to live a consistent, holy life towards God where I don't turn to the left or to the right, this has to be removed. This has to be taken away. This has to be done with. I can't go here anymore. I can't be there anymore. And that's a message of relationship. You know, if you have a yard and you have a, put, a pit bull in there who is, who is dangerous and is known to attack children and you have your child in that, oh, the, the law would call you a negligent person to, to leave that happening. They'd actually arrest you. Why? Because that, that pit bull is dangerous. It's going to come for those who are too weak to defend itself. It's the same thing with sin. Why leave something in your fence? area in of your life that is, you know it's going to come for you. Get it out. Send it back to the pound. It doesn't need to be with you. (laughs) I love dogs. Okay. Hey, uh, (laughs) I don't want to offend anybody. You know, dogs are great. If you have a pit bull today, there's some nice ones. All right. uh, Idols are mentioned 117 times in scripture. This isn't a little problem for Israel. It's a big deal. It's mentioned 117 times. Let me just explain to you quickly what some of these high places are, and then I'm going to finish the story. Um, High places were this. They were centers for Canaanite idol worship. God, when the children of Israel came into Canaan, he commanded them to tear them all down. But unfortunately, they disobeyed, and they left them there, and they let that habit continue. They would repent. They would follow God, but they would leave the things there that were to be destroyed. And so some of them were this. uh, This God, El, was this the supreme head of the Canaanite pantheon gods. He was the supposed father of creation. Uh, The Israelites found themselves worshiping Jehovah, who had actually created everything, and then the God of creation, El, in the high places. Baal, you see Baal a lot in scripture. He was the Lord of the earth and the rain. He was the prerequisite to worship. He was the prerequisite for successful harvest in a dry land. And so you see in scripture when there's, there's a drought over the land and Elijah is there with the prophets of Baal, they're cutting themselves and, and praying to Baal for rain. So the Israelites have this God who can't produce rain, but they're worshiping other things, other idols. Ashtaroth, he's the goddess of, excuse me, she is the goddess of fertility. The Canaanite farmers visited her shrines, this is crazy, to mate with cult prostitutes to guarantee crop fertility. So there's actually some crazy sinful stuff going on at these high places, not just bowing down to poles, but actually acts of sexual immorality that the Israelites were engaging in. And they would realize that it's wrong, but then re- return to God, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't destroy it. 
Dagon was the principal god of the Philistines. Dagon means grain in Hebrew um, and is associated with wheat and harvest. They were praying to get Dagon for their provision. There's only one who can provide for you. That's God. Molech, the Ammonite god uh, to whom children were sacrificed. Uh, Think of this, that um, Israel was allowing and even engaging in sacrificing children to this god Molech. Um, The Bible talks about how uh, they they made their children walk into the fire. This was a, a, a terrible, disgusting, evil thing. Chemosh a Moabite deity uh, who honored with horrible, cruel rites like those of Molech to whom children were sacrificed in the fire. That's just six of the 26 major Canaanite gods and goddesses. High places were not harmless shrines. God's people were seduced to flagrant sin at these altars. And in Isaiah, he rebukes them. And he says, are you not children of rebellion who inflame yourselves among the oaks under every luxuriant tree who slaughter the children in the ravines? And so I just wanted to share just a little history about what Israel was dealing with. It wasn't just poles. It was acts of sin. And the thing is, they would, they would repent and they'd come back. But they often didn't get rid of it. Let me read to you, just finish the story in verse 5. Look at what Josiah does, though, in, in chapter 2 Chronicles 34, 5. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and, and Jerusalem. And he, so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around with axes. And when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, he had beaten the carved images into powder. And he cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. He returned Jerusalem to Jerusalem. So his heart is turning to God and he begins to see that it's not just enough to feel sorry, but I actually have to get into action mode. I actually have to take some steps for these things to be gone. I I, I just wrote down some modern idols for you today, just in case you're having a problem correlating what, what, what some idols can be in your life. Success. Yeah, but I have to work more hours. You don't understand, I I have to pay for this and I have to fund this and I have to have enough for this. I have to be higher. It makes me feel more powerful when I'm in charge. More, more. Relationships. Oh, can a relationship be an idol if it's before God? Absolutely. Money. I need more. It's not enough to satisfy the longing in my heart, but we're fooled because it's never going to. It's a mirage that will never satisfy. Image. How do I look? Does everybody tell me how great I am, how great I look, my reputation? Lust. Do I seek for things sexually that will never, ever satisfy outside of what God has promised in marriage? Is everything better? Do I I walk in, in lust? Maybe not even just sexual lust, but lusting after different things where I think everything is going to fulfill me, but it never does. How about this? I talked about this with the youth a few weeks ago. We came up with phones, social media, movies, entertainment, sports. The list goes on and on of things that can go above God. I just want to remind you of Exodus 20, verse 3. It says this, you must have, not have any other God but me. God wants to be number one. God doesn't coexist with, with idols. He wants to be the one you worship, not one of the ones you worship. He wants to be everything to you. And he paid a great price for him to actually function as your all in all. 
And so today, maybe we can view our lives and say, God, there's some things that I've been putting before you. Maybe there's some things that aren't sinful, but they're in the wrong spot. They're ahead of you. Maybe there's some things that are sinful that are deceiving me and acting as the carbon monoxide on my soul and they're stealing from my life. I, I know this is a taboo subject in church, but I feel the Holy Spirit just asked me to talk about it. Statistics say 60% of the men in this room are struggling with pornography right now. It's got to go. 30% of the women right now in this room, that's statistics. I pray it's much lower than that in this room. But statistics say it's not better in the church than in the world. It's got to go. Greed's got to go. Uh, 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 things that come before God, they got to go. Uh, living for money, success, it's got to go. It's got to leave. It can't coexist and may still function and in, in my soul be alive. I will slowly but surely suffocate. And die. I want you to be happy because this, this is a hopeful message today. Because I want to read to you the end of the story here because it's good. Second Chronicles 34, 14 through 21. I'm just going to finish this with you today. <clears throat> it says this. Um, so so they, they, they raise money to build the house of the Lord. They take up an offering. And it says they brought the money that was brought into the house of the Lord um, to Hilkiah, the, excuse me, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word saying, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have de delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. You know, you can, you can know today, it's not just pastors who build the house of God, people who speak, people who, but it's actually people who work in the house of the Lord. If you want to get involved in the house of the Lord, believe me, there is plenty of work to do around this whole building. You want to serve God? Hey, it's not just, the, it is about speaking, preaching, teaching, worshiping, but also I love how it says the overseers, the workers in the house of God were helping build. All right. It's my shameless plug to help me paint. No, just kidding. Then Shaphan the, scri the scribe told the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. He realizes how the king, how the people of Israel have walked away from God's laws. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For the great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Let me just say, if you're living your life by how you think you're going to be lost, live by what God's word says and you're gonna find life. You'll find truth. Let me finish this story with you. Verse 29. The king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he found in their hearing all the words of the books of the covenant, book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers, 
This last verse, I want to show it to you. Thus, Josiah removed. I feel like there's some things today that God is going to ask us to remove. It's no longer good enough to say sorry anymore. It's not good enough to keep on asking forgiveness. Let me just say to you, whenever you ask forgiveness, God says, I forgive you. He never says no. But don't you want to live a life where like Josiah says, he didn't turn from the left or to the right. He had his eyes fixed on the direction he was going. Why? Because he had removed everything else that was distracting him, that was tempting him, that was taking from him, that was suffocating his soul. And so he says, it's got to go. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel. And he made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. And I love this. In all his days, they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. You know what I think sometimes the secret to us not living the roller coaster Christian life is, it's actually maybe a little more practical than we think sometimes. We gotta, we gotta remove. This has to go. This can't, this can't be here anymore. I love God and I'm following him. This can't coexist. This is suffocating my soul. This isn't, this isn't bringing me life. This is bringing death. And it's the moments that we get real with God at those times that I think he begins to take some steps closer that we weren't even expecting. And we start to make some decisions and God says, now I know you're for real. You know, the word repentance isn't sorrow. It's actually a change of the mind. The word repentance means that you change your mind about something. I used to think this was going to give me life, but I see it hasn't and I changed my mind. And at that moment, God says, I'm coming close because they're for real. Look at this. 1 Kings 22, 42 through 43 says this. This was Jehoshaphat. I had a whole list of these for you today, but I'm not going to read it because it's time to go. But Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. And he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shilhai, <laughs> helper Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but... The high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. I can read a list to you. I have it right here. I won't, though. Of kings who were sorry, and it even says they followed God, but they never removed. They walked in God's ways. They even repented. They even called for Israel to worship the one true God, but they never removed. And could we be the same way where I love God, I love to worship, I love his presence, I love when he comes and I feel him wrap his arms of love around me, I love his word, but there's some things I'm just not willing to get rid of. There's some things that are too precious to me, some things that I can't part with, some things that I drink, smoke, watch, do, talk about, talk to, that I just, I can coexist with it in God. I just want to tell you today, it's a deceptive thing because you can't. Just a couple of quick verses and then we'll be done. Matthew 5, 29 through 30 says this. This is Jesus talking. We've talked a lot in the Old Testament. This is, this is Jesus. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, 
gouge it out and throw it away. Now, I don't want anybody coming to church next week with one eye, please. But he's making a metaphor of the, of the seriousness of removal. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Again, nobody coming with one hand next week. But I want to say this to you. Jesus is speaking the same message. He's saying, this is serious. And it's not good enough for you to coexist any longer. You have to actually remove it. I just want to read you three things, and then I'm going to pray this morning. Kyle, if you could come and and play, play the keys. And um, just some heart indications this morning. Maybe there's some things in my life that I don't see. Have I given myself permission to adopt a casual attitude towards sin? Maybe you are if you've said any of these things. That's just always been in my family. Or that's just who I am. That's just what we do. We just talk about people. You know, that's what we talk about, right? We just talk about them. No, don't gossip. Speak life over people. We've always struggled with this sin, man. It's alcohol has been my, my grandfather was an alcoholic and, and my dad was, and it's just always been a thing. And, and I just don't think it's ever, no, it can be broken, but it has to be removed. There's some things in your life that you feel like are patterns. And because of the repetitiveness of the, of the thing in your life, you felt like, well, maybe I should just let it coexist because I can't seem to remove it. Take a step today and say, God, by your grace, I need the strength not to just feel bad about it, but to get rid of it because it must go. Have you been discouraged from past failures and have they discouraged you from your current and future devotion to God? God, the shame that I'm carrying because of what I've become, it's, it's a lot. Or maybe what my past was. And I don't feel like I can be all you've called me to be because of what I've done. I just want to say to you, shame is a lie from the enemy. The difference between shame and conviction is this, that shame has never has any hope attached to it. Conviction, there's always somebody you run to because there's hope. When I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit, I run to God because he's the one who's going to wrap his arms around me. When I run home and he's the good father who loves me and is going to heal me and restore me. The shame tells me you're done for. You're not good enough. So a shame kept me in the cycle of, well, there's some things I don't feel like I need to remove because I've already done it. I've already messed up. Don't listen to that lie. Today can be the day where you say, put your foot down and say, no more. I know it's been in my past. I know it's even been in my family, but it's time for it to go. Today's the day that it has to leave. Am I isolated? Let me just read you this. To travel fast, go alone. To travel far, go with others. Let me just read that to you one more time because I don't think you got it. To travel fast, go alone. To travel far, go with others. If there's things you're struggling with, talk about it. Don't let the, the, the isolation of it all bring shame. Speak about it. Speak to your pastor. Speak to godly friends who can help you, pray for you, counsel you. Don't do it alone. You'll never make it. But if you choose to remove and ask for help from God's people, you'll go far. The last one is this, am I focused on pleasing God? I read an article about a pastor and this so struck me this past week and I'm going to read this and pray. He said this, a few years ago I was lying on my bed one sleepless night pondering why a certain sin kept reoccurring in my life. 
You ever had that thought? Why did I do that again? Why do I, why is this continuing? I'm a Christian. This is supposed to be, supposed to be gone. Then a thought hit me. What is it that I don't understand about God that makes sin so attractive? That thought was a breakthrough. The high places in our lives are more seductive when we believe the lie that God cannot provide all that I need. Sin seductively warbles that it can meet your needs better than God can, but God has already provided everything you need. And so I wanna challenge you today. If there's something in your life that's stealing your life, suffocating your soul, robbing your joy, making you feel alone, broken, isolated, discouraged, shameful, struggling. It's time, it's time today. It's time to say not just I'm sorry, but I'm done. It's gotta go. And maybe some of you can go home today and remove some things from your house. Maybe there's some things in your house that just, they gotta get out. Maybe the, Maybe the TV for a time. I don't know what it is. Maybe your phone's got to get turned off. Maybe you're, maybe a group of friends is, is just, you got to take a break. Maybe there's some things that you just got to say, you know what? This has got to stop. But I think today is the day that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and saying, if you want to not look to the left or the right, if you want to live holy, consistent, yes, it takes my grace and it's not works, but it takes a decision. And so things have to leave. And so I want to pray with you today. So there's some things in your life that you just want to go. I just want us to close our eyes and I want you to slip up your hand right now. And I want to pray for us all in, in this place today that our idols would begin to be destroyed. And so Holy Spirit, I thank you for the people in this place who have made decisions right now and said in their life that there's some things that have to leave. There's some things that have to go. There's some things that cannot coexist with my relationship with God because it's suffocating me. And so I thank you right now for for hearts turning. And Lord, we thank you right now for the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to strengthen us to actually do it. Because in our own strength, we're so weak, but with your strength, we're so strong. And so God, today I pray for strength as we make decisions about what needs to go. God, in order for you to come in in a greater way. And God, I thank you today. God, that nothing can replace you. Oh, I thank you that nothing can stand or sit in the seat of your goodness, of your kindness, of your love for me. So I thank you today, God, that everything that we need is in you. And God, we just break the lie today that says sin will satisfy me and bring me to a place of hope, joy, peace. I thank you today that the only place where hope, joy, peace is found is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we just acknowledge that truth today. And we ask for forgiveness for the the places in our life where we have listened to the lie that other things would satisfy before you. So, Holy Spirit, as we end here today, we thank you. God, we respond to you. And we just say, give us strength for the things, even in the coming days, months, weeks, years, that have to be removed. God, I pray you'll give us grace to not just say, I'm sorry, but to actually take the step of, I repent and this has to leave. In Jesus' name. We thank you today for your love, for your graciousness and kindness, and we love you. We thank you so much for your life and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.